week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay Review, Detroit Folly by Etzel. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay. Yeah, that was intense. It was intense. The way you said, the way you said my name. Mr. Jason Ziak. Jason Ziak. <laughs> I'm moved up on Crystal Light right now, so you're going to have to Crystal tolerate Light. me. Strawberry, what happened to you, man? Strawberry lemonade. Strawberry lemonade flavored crystal light. It's delicious. Wow. Um, hopefully, our guest joining us tonight did not uh, have his extreme his uh, his man parts cut off and is not drinking a crystal light. Uh, joining. Yes, I have a Yingling. Uh, joining us on the Skype Whatever. line. You, you were drinking wine like a couple episodes ago. Wine is fine. But whiskey's quicker. Right. Uh, Mr. Chip Midnight with the Shinerbach. Back I, I, again. Kind of like Cousin Oliver. <laughs> I've, in, I've invaded. I've, I'm now sleeping in Bobby Brady's bottom bunk. You're joining us on an episode for a band that you were not familiar with, which is, I think, a, a kind of a rarity. I think all the bands that you've joined us for, am I correct in saying that you you had some familiarity with them beforehand absolutely yep yeah i i know i know the name uh of the band we're, we're reviewing but uh yeah i never heard of them never heard them until the last couple of weeks so you are going into this as lost and blind as we are which is yes uh nice it's a, for a change it's a fun way to it's a fun place to be yeah so we are reviewing the band edsel and specifically their 1994 album Detroit Folly and yes that is a clever play on uh, words in the sense that Edsel was a car released by Ford that was a flop and it was called the Detroit Folly so get that right out of the way so that uh, we address it and can move on Uh, this was actually a suggestion by John Solomon, who runs the Comedy Plus One label out of New Jersey, and they re-released this album and the album The Everlasting Belt Company. Uh, They remastered and released both those albums last year. So he sent us the remastered albums, and uh, we got to listen to them. And there you go. We've We've got music to listen to that we didn't have to find in a zip file on some random file sharing website because uh some of this stuff is kind of obscure so jay were you familiar with edsel at all prior to this god no i think i heard the name which uh it's a very 90s band name um but had no idea what they were about same with me not familiar so jay in addition to uh chip joining us this evening we're gonna have another special guest Oh, really? Yeah. Via the telephone, not live, but recorded. Singer and guitarist of Edsel. Here we so, go. So, Rob, Habibian. Come on. Habibian. I got it nice. right. He's going to be joining us. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be asking him some questions, and we're going to be playing them during the show. Uh, we didn't record it during the show. We recorded it in the future, even though the show was recorded in the past. 
It's a time traveling thing. I can't explain it exactly, but wah wah wee wah. Yeah, but we'll be uh, we'll be throwing those interview segments in during the show, and um, he was a really cool guy, and I'm looking forward to everybody hearing about the history of Edsel from him. So, how about we do some history of Edsel? History of the band. Uh, Edsel formed in Washington, D.C. in 1988 or 89, depending on which would you read Wikipedia or AllMusic.com? They disagree. We won't get into their turf war over the history of Edsel. We'll just say it was either 88 or 89. Uh, it was Steve Raskin on vocals and guitar. Now, this is actually the overall lineup. There were some changes here and there. Uh, Steve Ward on bass. Nick, oh, I'm going to screw this up. Pelicato on drums. And on vocals and guitar... Sohrab Abibian. Now, there were also some other band members. Uh, John Dugan and Steve Albert both played drums. John Dugan is the, actually the drummer on this album. And John also played in the band Chisel, which you guys might be familiar with. Chisel was the band that Ted Leo was in before Ted Leo formed The Pharmacist and became a solo artist. Uh, Jeff Sanoff also played bass. And one Eli Janney of the band Girls Against Boys played keyboards. So that is the history of the um, members of this band. They have an interesting hist- uh, release history as well. The band's first release was a single called My Manacles. Uh, came out in 1989, and it was the first ever release by DeSoto Records. They released a couple more singles and EPs over the years, uh, in addition to four albums. The original album... Strange or first album, Strange Loop, came out in 1992 on Merkin Records. The Everlasting Belt Company came out in 1993 on Grass. Detroit Folly, which we're reviewing, came out in 1994 on Grass. And Techniques of Speed Hypnosis came out in 1995 on Relativity. The interesting thing about that is all three of those labels, Merkin, Grass, Relativity, all gone. I read that when the band was trying to secure the rights to re-release the two albums that um, Solomon re-released on his comedy comedy minus one I said comedy plus one it's comedy minus one label um, they couldn't actually find anybody from those labels to secure the release so they just went ahead and released them because they basically said the statute of limitations had run out in, ter- in terms of ownership of the material uh, the band broke up in 1997 Sorab moved to Brooklyn, New York and in 2006 joined with Rick Froberg of Drive Like Jehu and the, the Hot Sna- and, and Hot Snakes to form the band Obits. How did that band sort of come to together? Um, well, he Rick moved to New York from San Diego and uh, I had moved to New York from uh, DC and we had some mutual friends and uh, we were introduced and I was actually taken to an art opening of his um, by a friend, and I really liked his visual art, and I actually bought one of his paintings. And then, in the course of doing that, we became friends and started hanging out. And that's that's when Hot Snakes was first starting. Um, and uh, we just, you know, he actually helped me get a job at this place where he was working, and so we, we just became better and better friends. And then as, as Hot Snakes was wrapping up, uh, we just started talking more and more about doing some music together, and uh, finally... You know, we just thought, well, if we're going to 
try it. You might as well just try it. So he had a friend who was the original drummer in Obits who had access to a practice space. And so uh, Rick and Scott, the drummer, and I went to the practice space. And uh, we, we didn't really have any preconceived idea of what it was going to be or if it was actually going to even be anything. We just kind of got together and played. And it was fun. We had a great time. And we just sort of, you know, we really kind of clicked. And he and I have different guitar playing styles. So it was really, it was fun to try to figure out how to, to make the two, um, the two ways of approaching the instrument work together. Because, uh, you know, we both really love love the instrument. Well, neither one of us are incredibly dexterous at, at the guitar. Uh, but um, but we really like what you can do with it. And so, yeah, so it's kind of born, born of that. I mean, the the guitar guitar rock and roll band so you guys have had two releases correct there was one a couple years ago and then last year uh the yes, sub pop yeah. release exactly yeah two albums on sub pop and then uh, a couple of seven inches and um, we actually have another seven inch coming up in may and uh then we're working on new songs so you know it's a, it's a band that is very much uh you know active and you know we kind of we enjoy doing what we're doing, so as long as we can continue to do it, we'll, we'll keep doing it. But uh, one thing that you might appreciate, given the nature of your podcast, is our new drummer is uh, Alexis Fleissig, who is somebody that I've been friends with since I was 15, growing up in D.C., and he's played in a bunch of bands. He was in uh, Soulside and in Girls Against Boys, which I mean, I'm maybe one of those you guys. I don't, I don't think you guys have done either one of those bands, but Girls Against Boys was definitely a... A big '90s band. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you want to tackle one of their records or not? But uh, but yeah, they were great. He's a he's a fantastic drummer, so he's now playing playing with us, which is really fun. Uh, there was also an interesting um, cover that they did that I wanted to read, and I found this on PinpointMusic.com to give them credit. Uh, they contributed a cover of Tom Petty's "You Got Lucky" to a tribute album that was also named uh, "You Got Lucky." Now, hey Tim. Yeah, you you know who's on that on that album too? No, Fig Dish. All right, go on. Really, Fig Dish. We'll save that for the three-hour podcast. Kind of (laughs) on Fig Dish coming soon. So Tom Petty in the liner notes of the playback, uh, I believe it's a box set. He talked about the Edsel cover, and he said, "This is a quote from Tom Petty." The way Edsel did You Got Lucky was so strange and good, I never would have hit on that approach in a million years. They were not afraid to completely abandon the structure, and there was a tone and attitude in the way they sang it that made it a menacing, frightening thing, and much more powerful, I thought, than with the way we did it. If I were to play it again, I'd do it like that, because it sounded more real. So, Tom Petty gave props to Edsel. Wow. We didn't get any Facebook feedback, so we can skip that. So let me ask you guys: Do you give props to Edsel? Uh, let's let's make Chip go first. This is Chip. this is his first. Uh, he's a newbie on the not hearing it before and having to give some feedback. I'd love to hear what he thinks. Yes. So I would say, like Alcohol Funny Car, a band that I was familiar with but had not heard much of. Edsel sounds completely like a band that I would have loved in 1994. What, uh, I, I like it today. There's definitely um, there's definitely some songs that I, I really like a lot, but um, I think I may have even said this in the 
Alcohol Funny Car episode, um, listening to this album like made me remember stuff from like my last year of college, even though this record was not part of my life then. So, so yes, I like it because, uh, yeah, it, it kind of takes me back to uh, 1994, 1995-ish time. So you'd say it's in your wheelhouse. It is. I, and, and and so it's one of those albums that I don't know that I, I, I don't love it, but it's, it's, it's kind of like the soundtrack um, to my life at that time. I was writing for a magazine called Moo. We were doing, and, and that's probably why I was familiar with the Edsel name. I don't know if we ever interviewed him, but I'm sure we must have run some ads for them or Chisel or, or that whole DC scene. Mm-hmm. So I, um, yeah, I think if you made a movie of my 1994 life, there would be at least one Edsel song on the soundtrack. Interesting. Jay? Um, I think I I agree with uh, with everything Chip said, and I and I also thinking of the comments that you read from Tom Petty about this band, and um, I really like that they have a sound. So just sonically, the tone of their instruments and uh, the vocal sound, and just how it all comes together. You know, they they have a have a sound, and that's sometimes you know pretty difficult to do, and it's also a huge part of the equation of being a good band. The other, the other side of that is, um, you know, usually songwriting, uh, have the material. So I definitely think they, they have the sound part down. Um, and I think in on moments on this record, they, they, uh, they've actually got the material. Um, you know, there's probably well over half of this record that, uh, at first listen, I like, and then the more I listen to it, I like more and more and more. And it kind of reminded me of um, my reaction to the Wrens record we, we reviewed last year, uh, where there's enough nuggets in there uh, in every song that kind of you know you pick up on and, and it draws you in. But um, and you come back and you listen to it again and you hear some things you didn't hear the time before, and it really grows on you. Um, I really like how the uh, they're able to play very relaxed especially like uh, the bass lines and the vocal. Uh, it's all very like sort of on the backbeat and the tempos don't ever get, you know, really fast. Um, they kind of stay mid mid to, you know, mid tempo, maybe a little quicker than that, but it all still works. And that's really hard to do. I mean, the, the singers kind of, kind of got a Lou Reed kind of delivery to him at times, which, you know, that can get pretty boring. Um, but there's something about the way they put that that together with really cool bass lines and a really cool bass tone, and then over top of that, the guitars on the on the better songs are always doing like cool like syncopated parts, and they're always playing sort of counter to each other. Um, and then every once in a while, they'll sort of link together, maybe for a chorus, and kind of get big, and it'll start to feel like maybe like Interpol, where you know it's all the you know the guitars are sort of locked together and it's a clean cleanish tone you know they don't use a lot of distortion it's somewhere you know it's got a little bit of grit on it but it's sort of in the cleaner realm and at those times it kind of has that sense of like what interpol does when they're um you know everything's locked together and they're and they're playing a course it's pretty big so there's a lot of stuff here like for sure for me What, what what were your impressions tim you mentioned having that 
sort of lazy vocal and being on the backbeat and having a Lou Reed kind of feel. I think the, the band that I was most drawn to in terms of a comparison was Pavement. Hmm, you know, yeah. the Wrens, when we talked about the Wrens, we talked about you know, the fact that they had like 20-something songs and really short and poppy and there was like a, almost like a Guided by Voices feel to it. And I kind of feel like in terms of the two biggest underground lo-fi bands in the 90s it was pavement and guided by voices i kind of feel like this is this is a band that was sort of hitting on what pavement was doing sort of filtered through that dc sound of fugazi and jawbox and um even like shudder to think band like that and then at times i heard some of that north carolina chapel hills like archers of loaf and polvo um Mm -hmm. sound it, it, I, the thing that I sort of settled on, it, it kind of, it sounds like atmospheric post-punk, where it's a lot of the album is the same tempo, and it has this like, there's a space to a lot of the record. There's a lot of them not playing and a lot of restraint. And mm-hmm. if you're wanting something big to happen, you're probably going to have to wait because it only really gets really big and crazy a couple times. Um, but there are grooves there that they settle into both in the, with the rhythm section and the guitar playing that get really interesting. A number of the bands, especially from the mid nineties, you would say this, this kind of sounds like Nirvana or this kind of sounds like pavement. Um, but even with like the DC bands, you would say, Oh, this kind of sounds like Fugazi or Jawbox. But when we were reviewing this, we couldn't really fit this, into a particular sound or category, which we found odd, especially considering a lot of the DC bands, you can find like a sort of a sonic or a lyrical connection. Um, Do you think that that's fair, especially on this record? We didn't go back to the other records so that we would have a very, you know, limited point of view. Um, Do you think it's fair that the band is difficult to to pinpoint in terms of their sound in comparison to other bands from the 90s? I, well, and, and at least it's funny because, I mean, in the D.C. area at the time, <clears throat> there was a lot of, uh, it was a very friendly environment to be in a band. There were a lot of other bands and a lot of other bands that didn't really share a, uh, uh, a sonic aesthetic, but we all played together and liked each other's bands. So, you know, there was on one end you'd have like Jawbox and Shutter to Think, and on the other end you'd have, say, Tsunami uh, or you know, Holy Rollers or, uh, I mean, there was just there was just so many really cool, interesting bands that were, they sort of created a, an environment, you know, and there was a lot of labels at the time, and there was Discord, but then there was also Simple Machines and Slumberland and Teen Beat, uh, and we, Edsel had started the DeSoto imprint, but we didn't really do anything with it. When Jawbox first started, they actually started to do something with the label as a proper label, like putting out this moment plan, and Stuff like that. So it was a cool time to, to, to be in a band, and one of the nice things was there was not um, the homogeneous kind of element to the the sounds of the band. There was actually a lot of variety. So, you know, you could go to a show, and it would be, say, you know, a band like ours, Edsel, playing with Nation of Ulysses and this other band called Manifesto, which was more of like a, like a British post-punk sounding band, um, you know, and... Uh, so you get kind of a, a mix of music, which was really nice, and it was a nice environment to be in. I think it sort of encouraged all the bands to kind of do what their thing was, as opposed to sticking to a certain stock and trade and you know <laughs> running with it. I mean, you know, I think there are a lot of places where you could say like there was a Seattle sound or a Minneapolis sound, but 
DC, I, I think it's harder to pigeonhole. There was just a, a lot of influences coming together within a certain group of people that were being expressed in different ways. You know, something that we all mentioned right off the bat was in terms of the sound of the band, there being a lot of space in the playing and the importance of the rhythm section. Um, in terms of the space, I think what we were going for is that the guitars don't always lock up. They're not always playing like both are playing chords or one's playing a chord, one's playing a lead. There's a lot of leads playing off of each other, it seems like. And a lot of the rhythm seems to be on the backbeat, which lends to a little bit more of a relaxed feel. Whereas if you look at some of the other bands from that era and that from that um, scene, tend to be a lot more aggressive in terms of the rhythm playing. So we were just curious about where your guitar playing started and, and where this style of came from and how it influenced, you know, the writing of the music in the band. Um, well, I mean, you're absolutely right in your, in your description. I think it was really, for us, it was really important that, that the rhythm section sort of kept everything down because as guitar players, Steve Rask and the other guitar player and I, we really made an effort to try uh, to not replicate one another's parts, um, but we didn't want it to make it sound overly complex. You know, we didn't we didn't want it to be mathy, but we wanted it to uh, kind of punctuate the spaces. And the other thing too is, as I said before, I'm not a great guitar player. It's more I, I try to get the sounds and the ideas that I want out. And um, so one of the tricks that we would do is I'd play a guitar part, and then when it would come time for me to sing, I would really reduce it to something very basic um and so that would help open up space for the vocals and frankly take the responsibility off of trying to play and sing at the same time because <laughs> i couldn't do it very well uh but but i think the that the idea of how to use a guitar for me was really informed by gang of four or mission of burma um wire was a band that we were all really really into and that's actually both Gang of Four and Wire, I think the rhythm sections in those bands are incredible. Uh, you know, in Gang of Four, it's obviously like a really propulsive uh, thing. But in Wire, you know, uh, I was actually listening to Chairs Missing the other day. And there's a bunch of songs where there's either no drums or it's just a hi-hat. And so when the next song comes in and there, there's a full drum kit, it actually has a real point of view and a real sense of purpose. Um, and the songs that don't have it open up in this amazing way, and the guitars just sound really sort of, uh, you know, kind of full-spectrum cinematic. And uh, that, that was something that, that we were really, really into. I mean, we really like to kind of play with that, that sense of space. Um, and, and, you know, as a limited vocalist, I needed as much help as I could get uh, to, to create that space so it didn't sound like this really kind of tepid last idea thing being put on top of it. So I've written down the band's just looking at my notes pavement the wrens uh girls against boys so mm -hmm. i think i'm i think we all heard, kind of heard i think the same stuff yeah yeah i heard uh there's some i i agree with tim that the the first uh was it three through five are pretty strong up until that instrumental they, yeah they hit the instrumental well <laughs> this is like a theme <laughs> the 90s man they just they always put in that goofy noise track and then they they come after that with uh track seven which is um 
it's just boring you know it kind of sounds like the walkman or something it's just like this meandering like drunk delivery that doesn't really kind of materialize in anything interesting so they make up for it i think you know track eight and nine they start to do some stuff they start at i noticed they start doing some more backup vocals that mm-hmm. at times when they when they harmonize they almost sound like sloan on some of the choruses and stuff when the vocal comes together um they also start introducing some little bit a uh, little bit more instrumentation so there's some chimes and bells and just just a little bit more layering going on other than just you know two guitars drums and bass there's just a little bit some extra pieces and parts uh getting introduced on tracks eight and nine and then it it, it starts to from that point you know get a little bit weaker i, I like track 11 omaha intervenes i thought that was a really good song album to review it's it's at least three maybe four songs too long um and it's hard to think about your your comments about the like i think we use the term hook maybe too much but there are these vocal melodies that that they deliver that they're not like big sing-along choruses but they're you know they're interesting enough that they catch your ear and you kind of want to hear them again and they have you know they emote something from you know you, you feel something from them you you I don't know, they just give you the way they especially the way they come together with some of the the guitar parts and stuff it's again the same thing for me what happens when you listen to, to a band like the Rens where there's just playing around with like it, it's kind of like maybe they got a voices aesthetic where you know there, there's a pop song in there somewhere but around it there's like these moments of chaos and like things are pushing and pulling to kind of get angular and strange but then they get really kind of conventional all of a sudden and there's just this push and pull that happens um throughout the album where it gets it gets a little bit difficult to listen to in terms of you know the amount the the syncopation and the weird guitar part and then all of a sudden it'll come together and be you know totally you know pop oriented and then it'll break apart again and get weird the wrens were actually a band that we um, all kind of mentioned in terms of there being moments where 
this is really poppy and this is a structured as like a pop song and then it would go into something really dissonant and maybe not even for you know more than one or two measures um but there seemed to be like there was a, a deliberate attempt to not just keep everything simple and poppy but to infuse these like moments of chaos was that something that you guys you know were looking to do in terms of you know shaking things up so that you're not just going with a, a straightforward, you know, rock format in terms of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and that sort of thing. Um, I would I would say I mean the idea of creating little moments of tension was definitely important to us. So that that was something that we tried to do because you know similar with the the classic like loud, quiet, dynamic thing. And so it's just trying to trying to find ways to um, have songs have impact uh, by you know. It's like sort of a counterpoint of like having a quiet part versus a loud part, or, or like a playing like some weird half step note that you know creates this sort of like blue moment, <laughs> you know. And then when it's released, it's actually a really you know great, great, great feeling. Um, but you know, also I think we were victim uh, to what a lot of bands of that era, at least sort of of our ilk, did, which was I think uh, trying so hard to not write familiar pop songs because like you know you want to avoid the cliches right um and i think sometimes that comes at the expense of the pleasure of, of, of a, as a listener <laughs> you know uh but i think that 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 was really pervasive in that in that uh, music culture at that time was was to try to uh somehow subvert the cliche or like work around it somehow and uh the funny thing is the longer that we played as a band and even more so now that in obits is we kind of embrace the cliche a little bit more, <laughs> you know, just sort of uh, like let the pop song be a pop song and, and, and uh, kind of, you know, savor the, the joy of two and a half minutes of, of uh, something really pleasant. Um, but at the time we, that was not something we were seeking. You know, we were, we were definitely trying to, you know, take a left turn right at the last minute and uh, you know, for better and for worse. The bass tone on uh, on track eight. Yeah, um, draw down the moon. Yeah, really draw down cool. the moon. Awesome. It's, it's a, and they even change the bass and the tone up as they go through the album, which is kind of cool. Like on that song, it gets a little grittier. Mm-hmm. It's got a little like overdrive on it or something, and it like totally carries the song. And then later on, um, uh, Omaha or Beans has got an awesome, just big full, um, kind of a '60s Paul McCartney kind of bass tone to it, but. Um, just really, I mean, for for when it came out and for the type of music they're playing, um, you know, production-wise, it sounds pretty damn good. Now, I'm 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 interested in the the whole uh, DC thing because I noticed that on Spotify they did a split with Jawbox. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, and Tim, you mentioned that they put out their first EP on Desoto. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, I I didn't know much about the band before the last couple of weeks. I think. The guys in the band started this That might be that might be possible, and then they might have handed it. They might have, yeah. I don't know, sold it that, or. I read that over. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. I, I always thought it was a Jawbox run and Jawbox originated label, but it sounds like these guys started it and then passed it off to Jawbox. I, I guess I would have never, had I not seen that in the first place, and then you know heard the history of the band i wouldn't have gotten that by listening to them would, would you guys have picked up on the the dc sound 
in what they're doing on this record at all. I, I wouldn't. I would have thought that they were, if you had said, are these band, is this band from North Carolina, Chapel Hill, or is it from Washington, D.C.? I would have said Chapel Hill. Based on listening to those other bands, like Polvo mm-hmm. and Arches of Loaf from the 90s, that would have made more sense. So yeah, this I, doesn't I have that political edge and that, like, you know, Fugazi minor threat sort of D.C. hardcore sound that a lot of those bands had. I would have guessed New York City or, and unfortunately, like I said, I, I know the name and I've known the name Edsel. I mean, I recognize the name instantly. Um, and and I, I I think I probably did tie them into DC, whether I think just because I knew of their, some of their connections. So I don't know if, if I didn't know about that, if I would have guessed that, but I kind of went into it knowing that they were a DC band. So I, I heard that when I listened to them, but by association, oh, I guess. Sure, Chip. <laughs> <laughs> they're so hey, much so, more laid back, you know, that, than uh, yeah, that's I would the thing. a lot of those bands with. And, but they're very confident. I think that's what makes it work. Like, there's a, just a sense of confidence and attitude about it, even though it's laid back. And I think that's kind of maybe what, you know, you know Tom Petty was, was picking up on also, is that they, you know, in a weird way, now that I'm, you know, sort of thinking about it, you know, that's the kind of same characteristics that Tom Petty has, right? I mean, he's like super laid back dude, soft spoken, you know, totally mellow, and everything is delivered with this, I don't know, this just style and edge to it. And despite the fact that it's not like in your face, you know, so they're definitely unique uh, for that scene for sure. So when I go into a record like this, I try to, um, I'm a, I'm a comparison kind of guy. Like I, I, if I don't, if somebody doesn't tell me a comparison, I try to make them instantly. And the first song, Wind Key, was really, it was bugging me because it, it, I thought it sounded like something or someone or some band, but one of those ones that like it's not a, it, it wasn't a direct influence or rip off or whatever. And it hit me today when I was listening to it. And I, you know, I don't know, you guys will probably have to go back and listen to it. I don't know if you can, hear the song in your head right now but um there's something about it to me that sounded kind of ken andrews ish i don't know failure or one of his bands i mean hmm. i don't know <laughs> give it a listen and and see it it, it sounds like that to you because there it doesn't it doesn't sound like a failure song or any of ken andrews bands but there's something about it like i said when i first heard that song um i don't know that's what i heard second song do you guys know um i mean i know you know who ron house is but have you heard like thomas jefferson slave apartments yeah yeah and i've heard his solo uh, one of his solo albums too so the vocals on on uh negative wintergreen and i think uh monsterio monsterio mm-hmm. those to me kind of sound like ron house 
He was also in Great Plains. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. For those out there who are familiar with Ron House's various bands. Well, Winky, the first track on the album, um, I'm with you in terms of that song was a weird way to, to be introduced to the band for me too. Um, and the song kind of bugged me. And I, I heard... I heard Alice in Chains when I first my first impression <laughs> like when I put the record on wow and like just, just the way the vocal is delivered because he does the, they do this like droney kind of monotone delivery on the vocal and I mean the musically it's not that it's not that that riff but it's just that vocal style so I'm going into the record thinking like okay this guy's gonna sing like this the whole the whole record they're gonna try to do like the you know the Alice in Chains style vocal which you know a lot of bands kind of did in the later 90s um but they don't do that again <laughs> and and they, now going back and listening to to it just as we're talking here and the ken andrews things i think i i hear the um i think it's the space in the song that tim touched on that kind of gives it the ken andrews feel but also like maybe the pitch of his voice it yeah. is similar to uh ken andrews but it's definitely a song that like i don't know it's it's one of those couple on here that just i don't know they don't really it doesn't really fit this, the rest of the sound of the band it doesn't do the band justice at least for me so i'm a few years older than you guys and i started college in 1989 so i came out of the hair metal music listening world and i was actually excited to go to college because i was like i love music i love hair metal and I was excited to hear about this college rock stuff I kept hearing about. I went to Ohio State and we didn't have a college radio station, so I did not get exposed to it. My roommates had New Kids in the Block and Bobby Brown cassettes. So <laughs> that whole college rock experience, uh, I missed it for a couple years. But to me, this sounds like the kind of record that I was hoping that when I went to college, it would be, I'd be exposed to something that sounded completely different than hair metal, but something new for me to fall in love with and it took me years like i said because osu didn't have ohio state didn't have a college radio station at least not one that was easily accessible and and you know like i said i i grew up in this kind of dreaming about college radio. i heard about college radio i heard about all these bands and college radio was breaking sonic youth and even like early rem and all those early indie bands and i was waiting for a band like this and this is like so look, looking back and like I said this this to me reminds me of what I should have been listening to or what I would have been listening to in 94 this is what I was hoping to hear because mm-hmm. it is totally different than hair metal oh yeah yeah and it's still uh, I think the, the better material on here it definitely fits in the 90s but I think it even works pretty damn well now you know I, I think it transcends carries over um, yeah, the Interpol sounds... and Walkman comparisons are great. I, I, I especially the Walkman, yeah, yeah. And I and I read, so I, I did some reading about that, you know, and I heard a lot of Gang of Four and Wire comparisons. And I don't know; those are bands that I've seen referenced a million times, and I've probably heard some songs, but I don't know those bands that well, so I don't know if um, those are good comparisons or bad ones. But... From what I've read, they apply more to the earlier albums than this one. And I think Gang the... of Four typically a little more like up tempo than this yeah they tend to well they tend to have some dancey you know yeah 
beats and and also tend to and it can Gang of Four fits in with well with like Fugazi and Jawbox because they had very socially conscious and political lyrics whereas I I didn't get that from this band I got this was a much more cut and paste obtuse just stream of consciousness sort of lyrical content than than those bands you know that's the other thing I, I wanted to sound educated when I talked about this record and so I, I tried to pay attention to lyrics but I'm not a lyric guy unless something really is hooky or stands out to me and I've listened to this record probably a dozen times in the last couple of weeks and I can't remember a single word from a single song and that's not a bad thing but but back to your point like there's there's no to me like I didn't hear anything strongly sociological or political or and they may have been there and I just I I, I didn't catch on how weird that Chip and I both have a, a love for hair metal and we both are could care less about lyrics most of the time <laughs> 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 I think there's something there no, I'm with you it's like sometimes some of my favorite records like um yeah I do, it, it doesn't matter what they're saying you know and, and there's other ones that it does you know where it comes through and you and you understand it and you hear it but I don't have to like the lyrics to like a record so on this one um I, I'm with you guys I, I really didn't notice them and sometimes if I notice them it's because because they're bad because it jumps out as being painfully bad um so sometimes I'm better off uh, if I just you know if, if they don't stand out that usually means that the they're either just you know obscure and uh, non-remarkable or you know not bad when you guys recorded was this track by track did you start doing drums first and then build up or was this a a live in the stu- in the room type of thing well that record in particular the different records we made we sort of did in, in slightly different ways so i think they all started out to some degree as uh is, is playing together live in a room. But that, that record in particular was uh, literally very, very live in a room. The only thing that was overdubbed were vocals and maybe the occasional doubled guitar part or something like that. Um, but we, at the time, my, my family had a cabin in the Shenandoah Mountains in Virginia. And uh, so we actually convinced a friend of ours who's an engineer to take a bunch of his gear that was portable and go to this cabin in the woods and set it, we basically set up in the basement of this cabin. Um, and it was summertime, so it was really, really humid and really sweaty and pretty gnarly, but it was, it was fun, and it was a really cool, very, uh, you know, as you know, having been in a band, um, sometimes in the recording studio, it can, it can, you can feel really um, kind of distant where the, pro- the process takes over mm-hmm. your experience as opposed to the music being the thing that you're focusing on, you know? Uh, and in this case, we literally were all, <laughs> all together in this cabin. So it, it, was, it was a really, um, as a band, I thought it was a, 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 a nice way to capture the band um, as, as kind of sweaty and human as it was. And plus, you know, yeah, so those are all like, those are all live takes. There's no editing. There's, you know, it's, uh, um, yeah, just, just vocals put on afterwards. And that way you don't have to pay for, uh, you know, hourly charges when you're in your own in your own place. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And it was also, it was just a nice, um, it was, it was something we could afford to do because that was the first time where you could actually get portable recording stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, a, 
like a lay band like ours could actually afford. So it was like I think we had ADATs, I think we took. Um, that sounds right. And and yeah, and we we basically so we took those and just some basic like mics and compressors and stuff, and for a really minimal budget. Um, were able to make that record, whereas I think if we had tried to do anything like that at all, like go to some other studio and sleep there for a week or whatever, there's no way we could have afforded it. So. Can you talk a little bit about the songwriting process? Was that something that you guys you know, would get into a room and start on a riff and just build off of there, or would you you know, come in with, say, lyrics and a basic chord structure? How did that work? Um, it basically, in that, in that band, what we did was... Uh, it, it was pretty much all born in the practice space. Um, you know, somebody would have literally a riff. I don't know if anybody ever came in with two riffs. Uh, and we would just kind of play through it for as long as we needed to figure out what everybody wanted to play. And um, we would essentially work on the music until we felt the music was done. Uh, and then it would be my responsibility to come up with a vocal part, at which point we would then tweak the arrangement so that it didn't sound like the vocals were an afterthought. It was more, you know, figuring out what we could take away to, for the vocals to sit in there and make whatever other changes so that, you know, it seemed like... Because to me, as a listener, you know, I, I always listen to the human voice first, so I always want to hear a song that sounds like it's the person is singing to you and the music is supporting whatever that thing is that they're trying to get across as opposed to you know the kind of music where the vocals are just kind of a layered instrument and not really uh you know it's not vocal music it's instrumental music the voice is just an instrument so all right guys i think we have reached the point in the show where we need to rate this album so on our trusty scale of worthy album better ep decent single chip where does this fall for you oh man um I think I'm going to go with the, a better EP. I, I think I feel the same way that you guys have mentioned. The, definitely the first half of the record, there was probably four songs that I thought were great, really on a, on a good pace. And then even as I'm looking at my notes, towards the end, I kind of stopped taking notes. So EP, definitely a, a, a great single. Like I said, I don't know which song, but one of these songs will be on the soundtrack of my life, soundtrack of my movie life. Excellent. Well, there you go, Jay. So, kind of, we, we've reviewed some albums in the past where, I think the Rens kind of did this. There was a couple others where, there's just something. You just get a nostalgic feel when you listen to certain songs, you know. From, and, and, and I don't know if it's like what you're saying, where it just touches on the, the sound of, of an era or something, and that that's what does it, or just, I don't know. There's just some sentiment in some of these bands that some of these songs we've listened to and it just conjures something and it just makes you think of you know the past and the 90s specifically obviously um and i think you know this is a band that does it too i'd give it a i'd give it an album um it's a worthy album it's it's about i think it's a solid eight tracks for me um i could probably go to nine um but it's definitely more than five or six so uh and I think there's some stuff on here that maybe, you know, my first my first experience with the record getting into it, there's some stuff here I'm I'm, I'm overlooking a little bit, but maybe as I um, continue to listen to the record, I'll I'll end up appreciating that stuff more as I go. So I, I think it's worth the album. I'm I'm there with you. I think I'm at about the eight track 
mark. Like the first five songs kind of loses me at six and seven, but then gets strong again around eight, nine, and ten. So four bands around today. Jay, you mentioned the Walkman and Interpol. I think those are good comparisons for people who are familiar with those bands. Uh, obviously, Archers of Loaf and Polvo are still together. And I think if you listen to anything that Jay, Jay Robbins is doing, whether it's with channels or whatever that Office, Office of, Future, of plans. Future Plans, I think there's some some relevant comparisons to, to that. Were there any other bands that you guys thought of uh, that are currently around? Because I feel like this band, although it's very 90s, it's also very contemporary in their, in their sound. Well, what about, I mean, have you guys listened to that a little bit? Yeah, I have. I mean, they're, they're a contemporary band. Um, would you th- say that fan, fans of that band would be into this? Yeah, but I think that Obit's, to me, sounds a little bit more lo-fi garage rock. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was I was sort of in the same same spot place with with them. I mean, can you can could you take the natural extension of like obviously Interpol opened the door to like I don't know a whole movement of at least for, you know of bands since then. Um, say like a Young the Giant or whatever. There's like a billion of those bands now that sort of yeah. second generation. You know, after the initial. Interpol record, you know, second wave of, I guess, smart alt pop, you know, with guitars. My wife, my wife and kids listen to Young and the Giant, and it sounds like Coldplay to me. So I would not say yeah. Young and the Giant at all. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I only know so, one but, song and I don't remember it. Yeah, I, I think in maybe in ten years I can answer that question and be like, oh, that sounded right. like in 2012. Right. But yeah, right. I, I don't know those bands today that it reminds me of. I just know that from that that MTV Awards or whatever they played, and I was like, "Oh, this sounds like the Walkman with hooks." Yeah, <laughs> when they played. <laughs> when we do so the I'm Criterion like, oh, okay. edition of this podcast, we'll go back and properly on the voice track for the voice track. When we do, when we do the uh, you know the commentary <laughs> track for this podcast, we will uh, we'll bring up some more bands. So that's the plan. That's how we repackage this podcast into something that's profitable. Well, we also just admitted that we don't have time to listen to as much new music as we wish we could. So. No. Well, well, you know, I, I don't know about you guys. To me, to me, it's more. I, I'm more um, selective about what I listen to because there's so much. Yeah. But, but, on one hand, on the other hand, I listen to Spotify and I try to find stuff. But um, you know, I, I kind of go in my wheelhouse of hair metal, alt country, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm not seeking out bands that sound like this. So I'm not stumbling upon other, I'm not stumbling upon Ed Soul 2012. No, I, I was, I tend to, yeah, like you're saying, like there's certain subgenres that I go back to all the time and I dig deep into those, you know, so like newer, you know, newer metal bands that are a little bit more from an alternative perspective. Um, you know, I'll dig deep on that, either whether it's like Stoner Rock or, you know, that sort of Baroness kind of stuff, uh, Mastodon. I'll, I'll like dig, you know, for hours finding bands like that. <laughs> uh, but for a band like this, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like them, but I wouldn't, you know, it's not a genre that I would spend a ton of time trying to find more bands that sounded like. And, um, and I'm on Spotify, Spotify right now and I see that Chip Midnight is listening to Kill in Love by Danger Danger. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, 
Well, I was sort of into that stuff for like the whole like after Interpol happened and all the bands that followed him. I was into following a lot of those bands for a while. You know, the editors and oh, God, there was a slew of bands that sort of but followed, came out. A lot, of, a lot of those bands came out of like the Joy Division, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I'm not, I, I, I don't know Joy Division that well, but I don't know if Edsel's anywhere remotely in the Joy Division. Ballpark. No, they would fall more into a Sonic Youth, you know, post-punk sound i think in terms of their guitar they're, play than they're than a little they're more organic i, I yeah. think you know i think there's there's something i think there's a tinge of that there just in terms of the maybe the delivery and the bass how big the bass is to the to the album um but they're less uh you know razor sharp and precise and crisp and they're a little bit looser and you know more organic sounding than some of that stuff but yeah Chip, thank you uh, for coming on and, and stepping outside of your comfort zone and reviewing a record that you were unfamiliar with. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Like I said, it gives me something. It, 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 I enjoyed discovering it. So it was awesome. And you can visit Chip Midnight at AtomicNed.com where you can read musings on music and see videos and interviews and go back through the old stuff. There's lots of cool uh, material there to check out and then also the newer uh, very genre specific Tumblr Lipstick and Leather which uh, if you are a fan of some of the bands mentioned such as Girl School and um, Danger Britney Fox that's for you folks go there also want to say thank you to Sorab Hababan for joining us you can check out Obits at obitsurl.com. That's O-B-I-T-S-U-R-L.com, where you'll find links to their Facebook page and their Twitter feed. Both are Obits Band. And you can listen to them on Spotify, Last.fm, places like that. So check them out. Want to mention that if you liked this podcast and you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes, where... Uh, you can judge us. Your swift and very concise feedback would be appreciated. That's it for us. We're going to wrap up. Thanks again to Chip. Jay, thanks for coming on. I'm sure you're just distracted now by Googling this band, so not expecting <laughs> anything. That's it, folks. We'll be back again next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. feedback join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our facebook page and twitter feed while you're there support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages and thanks for listening